Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. Uh, Paul, I'm, I'm on duty, my friend. What about you? Jess, buckled up and ready to go. All right. Paul, this Friday is going to be a true gathering of Catholics and Protestant Christians, unlike we've ever seen before. They're going to descend upon Lot 13 in Los Angeles, California at the Dodger Stadium because the Dodgers are recognizing or the Dodgers are honoring homosexual men and giving them a community award. And so I've been getting phone calls because, since my brother Johnny and myself were, were kind of the tip of the spear uh, and Terry Barber as well. I've been getting phone calls from Protestant denominations uh, all over Southern California that, get, that are going to attend. Calvary Chapel is going to be attending in full force and Victory mm -hmm. Outreach, which is surprising mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, historically they've been pretty anti-Catholic. But one of the things that I told all of these guys in these meetings, I've said, look it, we are not here to discuss our, our differences, which are significant. If you guys ever want to discuss them, give me a call and we could discuss them privately or publicly. Uh, on Friday, we're here to gather together in the name of Jesus under the banner of Christ because they're insulting Christ and they're insulting Christianity. And so Fridays is not going to be a day of Catholic Protestant apologetics. It's going to be a day where we're going to try to live out John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, where we're going to all march under the banner of Christ, the Lordship of Christ, the Kingship of Christ, Christ, the Son of God, God, the Son, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer, Divine Physician. Those are the things that we agree upon. And so uh, Friday, people are going to see a true expression. We're not compromising anything, and neither are the Protestants. But the fact is, the Catholics will take the stage first. We will speak to our people. There will be inspirational talks from Catholics speaking directly to Catholic people. Protestants will be there as well, and we invite them. Then the Catholics will leave the stage. We'll go down to Vince Scully Drive. Then I will then I will be the MC. I will cede the stage to the Protestant speakers, and they will speak to their audience and inspire them as well. Then they will join us on Vince Scully Drive with the appropriate signs, with the proper messaging, uh, so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder on Vince Scully Drive as, uh, you know, 50,000 cars are driving through into Dodger Stadium, and we can be uh, praying together, uh, uh, you know, uh, being a public witness for Christ together, uh, mm -hmm. standing shoulder to shoulder together under the banner of Jesus Christ, Paul. Yeah, um, as you know, Jess, I'm a uh, uh, like I say, I'm a Catholic by conviction, and I am uh, very convicted of the truth of the of Mother Church. And, you know, but I will say this: you know, in this in this ecumenist effort, I wasn't always a Catholic by conviction, and as you know, I was a hardcore Protestant at one time, um, and uh, it was through our friendship and the fact that you, uh, you know, you didn't give up on me, that I am now a hardcore Catholic. 
and so and so and so we have to remember that this 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 process of salvation it you know it's it you know we work it out throughout our lives and sometimes god takes us different paths but eventually if your goal is to love the lord your god if your goal is to seek him and to seek his truth well jesus says those that seek me will find me and i will not hide my face from them and as you know the church um even um uh, uh, gives understanding and sheds light on the, the, the this issue between our um uh, between Protestants and Catholics, when it says that uh, there is a such thing as invincible ignorance, yes, and you know, so we're not going to, um, uh, you know, ultimately God is our judge, and uh, but at the same time, I, I simply believe that as we keep, you know, proclaiming the truths of the Catholic faith, um, um, I, I can't imagine any other conclusion than leading to Mother Church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Um... But again, for some people, it's a journey. Sometimes it's a long way. And so Friday. Myself included. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on Friday, I'm going to put my ecumenical hat. I told, I've told all these Protestant brothers, I say, I'm going to be the MC for the entire time. So I'm going to be monitoring the stage and introducing people. I'm saying, we can promise you that none of the Catholic speakers, none of us are going to say anything negative or derogatory about Protestant or Protestantism. This is not a day to discuss these issues. This is a day to unite ourselves against the uh, the LGBT lobby that's trying to destroy all of us. Mm -hmm. However, I told them, uh, I expect you guys, uh, when you guys take the stage, I'll be monitoring. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure that you stay on message. Make sure that we stay, uh, you know, uh, you know, inspirational, uplifting. Make sure we're talking about things that we all have in common, like the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I said, because I don't want to have to pull the plug on you guys, because I'm going to have control of the microphone. And so uh, let's just make sure that we all stay on message and that we all uh, recognize that all of us are followers and disciples of Christ. And all of us want the same mission. We want uh, we want to see uh, Christ as king in every single human heart in America. Well, that might be a tall task. You may, you know, keep that mic closed because. Uh... Oh yeah, well I'm gonna. Well, you're gonna, you're gonna be my bodyguard, so you, I may I may be calling you up, Paul. I need to remove this guy. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be on stage right next to the microphone, and I've been having discussions with these guys for the last two weeks, and they're saying, Jesse, we promise you, we promise you, no, no polemics, no Catholic Protestant distinctions will come up at all. In fact, what I'm gonna do since I'm the MC. I'm going to make sure that the, for four hours I discipline myself and I don't call them Protestants because uh, I know that's what they are, but that insults a lot. Half of them are insulted by that. Yeah, because they say we're not protesting exactly. anything. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. what I'm going to call them just to build bridges, and I've been calling them that for the last two weeks as we're on uh, as we're on meetings, you know, uh, through Zoom meetings. I call them non-Catholic Christian brothers. So that's a good title. Referring. Yeah, I call them non-Catholic Christian brothers. So I've been set, and I get it that they're separated brethren. I'm not going to throw those adjectives. It's not the place right now to use that. I need their backup. I need their prayer power. I need their witness. And so for four hours, I will be saying, I will be calling each of these pastors or speakers. Uh, and the next non-Catholic Christian brother is so-and-so. Uh, he'll be coming up here for the next couple of minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um... 
Well, I did get a chance to view some of the video, uh, uh, the horrible uh, video of uh, this group that called themselves the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And it is a mockery to our Lord Jesus Christ and Our Lady, both. And, uh, uh, you know, it's nice to see that there is a level that the world can sink to that that brings people up because I'm reminded just uh, and I've, I've said it before that I heard Pat Boone one time say Pat Boone a Protestant and he said if if the Catholic Church falls Christianity falls and this obviously is an you know is an attack by Satan uh, you know that all Christians can see look at the world is changing right before our eyes. And, uh, you know, there's there's something in the saying, if we don't hang together, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, we better we better stay together or we're going to hang separately. I don't know what the I forgot about. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Paul. And I think, you know, I know that we've been discussing with Protestant Christians for the last mm -hmm. 15, 21. You mm -hmm. got we've gone back and forth and there's been, you know, uh, healthy dialogues. I think what's going to unite Protestant Christianity ultimately with Catholicism is when they see Catholics willing to lay their, their life down for Jesus. And when they see heroic virtue in Catholics, I think a lot of these Protestants are going to say, wow, uh, uh, you know, uh, as, as, as John the Apostle says, see how much they love each other. I think it's going to mm -hmm. be the martyrdom of blood. And it's going to see heroic virtue in Catholics where Protestants are going to say, you know what, let's stop this experiment. Let's go back home to the church started by Jesus Christ. I don't think, Paul, that we're going to, by and large, make a big effect on bringing Protestants in through dialogue and apologetics. There is some effect. Don't get me wrong. I said, uh, but there needs to be a mass spiritual witness of heroic virtue, much like the Cristeros 100 years ago in Mexico. Yeah, well, uh, again, no matter, I mean, you and I did our share of dialoguing over the years, and uh, it, it was uh, the love of Christ that I saw in your life that uh, that was able to get me over the hump and back into Mother Church. Yeah, so uh, mm -hmm. for all of you that are going this Friday to the Dodger Rally, I will be the MC, uh, and uh, I'm going to be as, as ecumenical and as... Uh, uh, as uh, friendly as I can to our non-Catholic Christian brothers, because they've reached out to us. They reached out to me and Johnny. They're insulted by what they've done to the Catholic Church. Uh, they're incensed, and they wanted to. They had asked. They want to stand alongside with us on Dodger on on Vince Scully Drive, and uh, they also want to bring the, their people here that are equally incensed. So uh, I I uh, I'm grateful the fact that they would come out because once again. It ever, if, it, if it ever came down to, Paul, an executive order where it, it's against the law, Joe Biden never makes it against the law or somebody like him, some tyrant like him, ever says it's against the law to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, guess what? Um, at that moment, they're not going to be asked people, hey, do you go to Calvary Chapel? Hey, do you go to Saint Santa Rosa Church? Hey, do you go to the FSSP? Hey, do you go to Victory Outreach? At that point, the government's going to take anybody who professes the name of Christ to jail. So... That's, uh, that's my take. Hey, on the next segment, we're going to be talking about modernism, some current examples of modernism. Uh, I'm here with Paul Clay, just remember Paul Clay. Uh, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911.
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. You're listening to Jesus 911. Jess Romero, Paul Clay. Uh, this Friday, we'll be heading on over to Dodger Stadium. And we're going to be there from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. You can get there before. You can get there anytime between 2 and 3 uh, to get some parking at lot number 13. But we will be there from 3 to 7 p.m., uh, mostly Catholic Christians. There will be non-Catholic Christians as well. They're going to be coming. Uh, they've activated about 400 Protestant denominations there in Southern California to come along with the Catholics because they're equally as insulted what they're doing to Christ. Amen. So uh, I'm going to be controlling the microphone uh, on the stage. There will be a lot of great speakers on both sides. I mean, the Protestants are bringing a lot of their speakers as well that they uh, that motivate them and that they're that are highly respected in evangelical circles. Uh, we have a, a cadre of incredible speakers as well, starting with Bishop Joseph Strickland coming from Texas. He will be with us leading the rally. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of security there. So don't worry. LAPD there is on full force. Plus, we got we have at least uh, we have our own security force of, of off duty officers, retired officers that make up a contingent that will be working along with LAPD uh, uh, at the event. So uh, I just want to let you know that we need all we need is your prayer power, your witness. It will be a safe event. It will be peaceful. And we're going to stay on message. Paul, do you have any comments before we start talking about modernism? Uh, I'm ready to get into this topic, Jess, because. Um, all right, let's do it. Let's yeah. Do it. Yeah, go ahead. You, okay. I, Paul, yeah. let, me, let me ask you a question before you ask me a question. When you came okay. back to the Catholic Church, I remember you had told me that, you know, you, you saw, you're, you're, you're kind of like navigating your way around the Catholic Church when you came back from the uh, Protestantism, the different expressions. And I remember, you know, you had went to a couple of events, a, a couple of charismatic renewal events. And I had asked you, I thought that, wow, Paul's really going to love this. It's because this is going to really build bridges. This is really going to, you know, minister to him. It's going to speak to him. And when I talked to you, you had quite the opposite reaction. You had yeah. an aversion to what you saw. And I remember you had told me, and you could, you could clean it up, whatever, you know, you could, whatever. You said something like, Jess, this is just, this is, this looks like what I left. Paul, tell me what you told me when I, when, when you had been to a couple of charismatic events of the Catholic Church. And when yeah. I asked you about it, what did you tell me exactly? Well, Jess, it, it definitely wasn't what I left because, um, I was uh, uh, I would was anything but a charismatic Christian, but I was well familiar as a Protestant with the charismatic uh, uh, Pentecostal Pentecostalism and the char and, and, and the charismatic uh, uh, way of worship. Yeah, spirituality. Yes. So, um, but so when I went, obviously I went. You know, you, you hear about a healing mass and who doesn't want to go to a healing mass. Right. And, yeah. my uh, you know, my my wife, myself, you know, we had different ailments and things like that. And of course, we want to go to uh, something that is sanctioned by our church to 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 go and receive the Lord's healing. And then when I got there, it was quite, in my opinion, um, it was a poor imitation of of of, of exactly what, uh, you know, many charismatic groups within protestantism do and i thought that the protestants actually did it better now that being said 
obviously, um, you know, there was the 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 sacrament of you know being presented body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So that's definitely a huge uh, benefit. But um, this mass that was emphasizing the charismatic gifts and, you know, the, uh, you know, when they would uh, sort of slay you in the spirit and, you know, have somebody behind you in case you fall down. And <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, left, a, left, left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, especially, uh, at, you know, when I began to study the Catholic faith, it was all the traditional Catholic stuff that I was reading that I was saying, wow, this stuff is good. This stuff is good. And then, you know, what I wasn't aware of at the time, and you didn't tell me <laughs> about the <laughs> issues that were going on in the church. That, uh, was, for, that was for a later discussion. Yes. And so I, you know, so I was like trying to reconcile all these great, uh, you know, all these great uh, writers of, 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 um, of the past with what I was seeing. And I was like, there's something, you know, it was the head scratchers, <laughs> something missing here, you know, something, something's not lining up. And later on, I found out that there was a monster known as modernism. And this monster known as modernism was spoken about by many popes uh you know uh you know pretty much starting uh after the french revolution on uh and here we are today with a church where the majority of catholics don't even believe in the real presence of christ uh in the holy eucharist i can't argue with that well that's why i brought you back in you know what i tell people when i bring people back into the catholic church like you when i, when I say hey you're back in the true church of Jesus Christ. It's taking in water. Grab a pail and start bailing water. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Grab a pail. Start bailing, brother. We 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 yeah. we need your we need your witness and we need your 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 love and your and your strength and your zeal for the gospel. Well, and uh, yeah, and you know, again, when you really understand the message of Scripture, you know that. You know, as we move toward the second advent of Christ, uh, it, Jesus himself stated, Jess, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. Uh, you know, you don't expect to find faith in the world, but we're talking about authentic faith. Uh, we're talking about the faith of John chapter six, where Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you shall have no life in you. And it says, and on that day, many of Jesus' disciples followed him no longer. Why? Because they didn't believe. They couldn't believe. That's the, you know, uh, that that is the Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. And by the way, that happens to be the element that is missing from Protestantism. Well, let me ask you a question. You have to admit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be juggling a, a hot potato on Friday because yeah. I'm going to be the master of ceremonies on the stage. Uh, I've debated Protestant pastors. Uh, I've been doing Catholic apologetics for over 30 years. I know it well. I've written books on this. Uh, mm. I've got a free book on apologetics on my website. If anybody wants to download a free book that I wrote on how to explain the faith of Protestants, go to jesseromero.com. Go on the top of my page. It says free downloads. Uh, and the book is called uh catholic uh protestant questions catholic answers it's a 200 page book i wrote 20 years ago it's a free book i give out to people but um you understand that i'm going to be in a pickle because i'm well formed 
and yes. I'm going to be on stage and I'm going to be hearing things that uh, that don't comport with the Catholic faith. Uh, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to be biting my lip or my tongue most of the time, unless they cross the line and say something completely anti-Catholic where I'm going to have to pull the mic. But, you know, they talk about, you know, the typical accept Christ as Lord and Savior into your heart. I'm not going to have any objections to that. That's, a, you know, every, everybody should do that. There's nothing wrong. So I'm not going to be, what I'm saying is on Friday as the MC, I'm not going to be a micromanager. I'm not going to be it. a, yeah, I'm not going to be a, uh, I'm not going to be a doctrinal policeman or, or yeah. else nothing would get done. But yeah. uh, I, I'm, I, I'm asking them to keep to their generic Protestant message on the Lordship of Christ and, and, yeah. and, and on, and on, and, and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, they yeah. say, yeah, just we're, we're going to follow exactly what you're saying. We're not going to say anything contentious because we know that you have the mic. Yes. And let's not forget just that our church teaches clearly that as so long as they have been baptized with the proper, uh, you know, form matter and, um, uh, uh, they, you know, yeah, for, for matter yeah. and intent. Yeah. Thank you. For matter and intent, yeah. which, uh, and that's to say they've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, right. and Holy Correct. Spirit Correct. by name. Um, the Catholic Church recognizes that baptism. Yeah. And yeah. so they are a part of Christ. And so uh, scripture tells us that a brother offended is harder one than a strong city. And so it's not our intention to offend anybody. And that's like you said, this isn't the forum for that right now. I mean, we can disagree on issues and we do, but this is a situation where uh, society under the inspiration of Satan is attempting to um, basically it's, 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 I, it's like I can liken it to one of those movies where, you know, um, where these demons are working hard to, you know, totally change the world. And if this happens, it, it almost seems like that. They're trying to bring the world to a place where the Antichrist, where a stage for him is set up that he's going to feel at home in this world. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I'm telling you, Paul, this is going to be something that's never been done in in, 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 in the United States, uh, this type of ecumenical gathering, and I'm talking about true ecumenism, where we're, where we're standing together against the culture of death, uh, the demonic culture of death, a movement that's trying to destroy our families, our marriages, and our children. Mm. And so again, this Friday, I know you guys know that me and Johnny, my brother, you guys know, know us as, uh, as uh, uh, hardcore Catholic apologists, and we are, we are. But this is not the time to start correcting Protestant brothers on, on their soteriology, their eschatology, their, their lack of sacramental understanding. This is not the time. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give them an hour on the stage so Protestants can speak to Protestants and inspire them about going down to Vince Scully Drive with, with signs and stand alongside Catholics and witness, uh, you know, be a public witness and take up space for Jesus. So, uh, so for some people that are saying, I can't believe Jess is allowing Protestants to speak on stage. You know, wow, that's not the Jess Romero that I know. Well, again, this is not the time and the place to be correcting people's theological errors. This is the time to unite because uh, the next place we may be uniting with Protestants is in FEMA camps or in jails. And I'll tell you, if that happens, we would all be happy to sneak a Bible and read it together 
and 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 praise Almighty went together in a jail cell. Yeah, this is the this the battle lines here are those that believe in Jesus Christ and those that don't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jess, let's uh let's get into this uh, with right, a couple of questions. Well, I asked you a question. Go ahead and ask me the, the, what you want to ask me. Okay, okay. Give me a current area where modernism has affected the Catholic Church. And give me some current examples of the modernism in the church today, which most people don't detect and accept, especially as it relates to spiritual warfare. Great question, Paul. I would probably, <laughs> I would probably say that modernism really uh, took off on steroids after the Second Vatican Council, because you had, you did have a lot of bad players there, uh, a lot of infiltrators at the council, homosexuals, Marxist masons. And so it got jet fuel after the council. After the council, there was a movement that was started. And I think there's a lot of good things in the movement, but there are some, there are some uh, errors. It was called the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. It started right around 1967, 1968 here in the US. And we'll be right back, stick around, don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Psalm okay. 69, verse 2. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. We're back. Paul, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, so uh, before the break, Jess, we got to a question. Uh, it was concerning modernism and its impact on the church today and how that affects cat and how that relates to catholic spiritual warfare i mean as you know just you know god has basically weaponized us and that is our purpose our purpose is to be an offensive weapon to go out into the world and to uh basically uh spread the message of the kingdom to the world and so um how you know how is it that modernism impacts that in a negative way. Okay, I'll tell you, here's what happened, Paul. Um, the, the Protestant movement became liberal well over a hundred years ago, almost, mm -hmm. uh, you know, r right into the, a hundred years into the Reformation, you had Protestants denying essential uh, doctrines of Christianity, es essential tenets of the Christian faith. And mm -hmm. so what happened is right around 1901, there was a group of Protestants in Topeka, Kansas. It was led by Charles Parham at Bethel College Bible School. They called themselves Pentecostals. And they started praying over each other. And just like in the book of Acts and calling the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And uh, uh, the Pentecostal movement was born from this meeting. Uh, this Pentecostal movement and Protestantism, they emphasize the laying on of hands, uh, power in the name of Jesus through the laying on of hands, bringing uh, 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 healing from, uh, from people's uh, physical, sometimes uh, emotional disorders, uh, driving demons out. And so this, this was a, a lot of Protestant Pentecostalism is fueled by emotions, is fueled mm. by feelings. 
And that's the danger. Okay, mm -hmm. so a couple of decades after that, many Catholics right in the 60s, right after Vatican II, when modernists, really there was a lot of modernists that was top heavy in the council, uh, right after Vatican II was closed in 1965, around 1968, there was several Catholic college students in Duquesne University, and they opened up the book of Acts, chapter one and two. They read that story of the Holy Spirit coming down upon Our Lady, the apostles, and the 120 disciples. And so they said, hey, let's do the same thing that they did in the book of Acts. Let's do the same thing that they did in Topeka, Kansas in 1901. So they prayed and called down the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing. I mean, I pray to the Holy Spirit every day. That's a beautiful thing to do. Uh, and what ended up happening, they said, they all started speaking in foreign languages. Uh, they, they felt this power rush through their body. And thus, the Catholic charismatic renewal was born. Mm. That's the long and the short of it. But you'll find even Catholic charismatic theologians, many of them who are my friends, they will admit, they will admit that they take a lot of their modality the manner in which they practice their Christianity, they admit they take it from Protestant Pentecostals. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they just try to baptize it Catholic. Mm. Now, very early on in the 60s, when the Catholic charismatic renewal had started, you would find no mention of the Blessed Virgin Mary because that would offend the Pentecostals because there was a lot of ec ecumenical gatherings between Protestant Pentecostals and Catholic charismatics. So there was no mention of Our Lady in the 60s and 70s. I'm glad to report to you that that's no longer the case. The charismatic renewal has fully once again immersed themselves in Marian, in Marian spirituality. Uh, and, 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 and also back in the 60s and 70s, they were de-emphasizing the sacraments in these ecumenical gatherings. But uh, again, they've kind of rebooted themselves and there's a full... Uh, there's a full understanding of the power of the sacraments. Now, mm -hmm. Paul, the second question you talked to me, asked me about what, uh, how does this relate to Catholic spiritual warfare? I think you'll find this, I think you'll find this interesting. A lot of people don't realize that in the early church, you did have a lot of people that had the charism, which means the grace the charism of healing, the charism of driving out demons. Mm -hmm. God gave that charism to the baptized. But just like anything else, Paul, there's a development of understanding and doctrine, just like we understood more about the Trinity at the Council of Nicaea than we did in the first century. We mm -hmm. understood more about the, 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 the Holy Spirit at the Council of Constantinople than we did back in the first century. We, we understood more about Marian doctrines and dogmas at the Council of Ephesus in 415 AD than we did in the first century. Throughout the passing of time, the church takes the same deposit of faith given to us once and for all to the saints, and the church comes to a deeper understanding through the passing of time, through the gift of the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. So here's a story that most people don't know about. Yes, there is evidence that in the early Catholic Church, there were lay people that had the charism, the charismatic gift 
of healing and of driving out demons. But just like all the gifts that God gives us, sometimes people abuse them. And so what ended up happening right around 398 AD at the Fourth Council of Carthage, it was a, it was a Western Council, uh, about 215 bishops were in attendance along with St. Augustine. And what they did is they regulated the office of exorcism to the priest, to an office. Mm. Why did they do that? Because they were seeing that lay people that had the charism of exorcism, what they were doing is they were abusing that charism. What they were doing, especially the men, they were touching the possessed women improperly through the laying on of hands. They were having sex with the possessed women under the guise of we need to do, the, do this as part of the exorcism. They were also mm -hmm. charging inordinate lay people were charging money to perform exorcisms. That's called the sin of simony. And so the Catholic Church saw that and the Catholic Church in her wisdom said, we need to regulate this office of exorcist from, from a charism to an office. This way, the church could regulate this office through those that are ordained. And so just like all the doctrines of the church, Marian doctrines, the doctrines of uh, the pneumatology, the, 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 who the Holy Spirit is, Christology, Council of Nicaea, everything throughout the passing of time is understood at a deeper level. And these councils give us the definitive definitions on these doctrines. Well, it was the Council of Carthage in 398 that took the office of exorcism and put it under holy orders. This way, lay people uh, would not be tempted and retaliated against by evil spirits to have sex with the possessed persons or to involve themselves in the sin of simony. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize all that went on back then. But uh, so you would pretty much say that the church using its authority guided by the Holy Spirit uh, was able to do this so that it's, you know, using the authority given by Jesus Christ himself makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, Paul, because once again, and I'll tell you why this was a prudent decision on the church, because you'll find that the prayers, the prayers of virgins are very powerful. I dare say more powerful than lay people. And I can tell you that when you sit in a session of exorcism, one of the techniques used by Catholic exorcists is they'll pray Gregorian chant in the background as they're, as they're doing the rite of exorcism, which the rite was written in 1614 AD by St. Charles Borromeo. Uh, the demon inside the possessed person, when the priest prays Gregorian chant sacred music during a session of exorcism, and the team is there helping the priest, the demon could tell if the, the, if, if the Gregorian chant is being done by lay people who are married or done by virgin nuns and virgin monks. If it's done, if the demons hear that it's being sung by virgin monks and virgin nuns, it has a powerful effect. If the demons 
uh, discern or they, they'll know if this is being sung by males and females who are married, it has little to no effect. I've seen this in session and demons will even call it out. They'll say those prayers have no power. It's the prayers of the virgins because you'll see in the book of Revelation chapter 14, the, the, the highest saints in heaven, according to Revelation chapter 14, that have the highest office, the highest place in heaven are the martyrs and the virgins. And mm. so this was the wisdom of the Catholic Church to take this office of exorcism away from the lay people, from the charism, from a gift to lay people, and make it an office, the office of the clergy that has given themselves to a life of celibacy. Uh, this, uh, again, and this also protects the lay people because, again, the lay people, they have, they're married, they have families, they have children. Uh, demons will retaliate against your family, against your sacramental construct, against your marriage when they see that you're that you're uh, challenge the, challenging them head on through the ministry of exorcism, like what was happening in the, in the first 400 years of the Catholic Church. Yes. Wow. Um, oh, you'll, you'll, yeah, even find, yeah. you'll even find, for example, in the Old Testament, Moses would tell the men right before they went to battle, physical battle. No sex with your wife for three days before you go to battle. And so there's, yeah. there's this premium on celibacy and purity when it comes to spiritual warfare. Oh, yeah. So there's that, that, that link. Not only, um, uh, obviously, there, there's a virginal purity that, you know, uh, of the spiritual sense coupled yes. with someone who has consecrated themselves and denied, you, you know, this it, human brother. desire. Yeah. Right. Hey, we'll yeah. be right back. I think uh, we're, we'll be right back. Stick around, don't go anywhere. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. We're back, Jesus 911. We're talking about modernism as it relates to spiritual warfare. Paul, I just want to mention that. Uh, uh, Bishop Grob, he's uh, out there in Illinois. He was the former exorcist uh, over for the Diocese of Chicago. He's now he's been a bishop for several years. He wrote his PhD thesis on on the history of exorcism. Here's what he writes in this one paragraph. He says this. He says it appears that lay people were commanding and driving out demons in the early church. That was in utero and still growing organically in the Catholic faith delivered once and for all to the saints. Many things happened in the fourth century as the church continued to grow. The Holy Spirit led the church to define the Trinity and the Nicene Creed, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, to define the canon of scripture and regulate exorcism to the clergy alone. So in mm. other words, with Bishop Grob, who was, who was the former exorcist for the Diocese of Chicago, he says that the Catholic church, uh, at, at, at the end of the fourth century, ended up regulating the practice of exorcism for the protection of lay people and also so that it could have more uh, uh, so that it could have more of an authority structure under the umbrella of Holy Mother Church. So, Jess, when it comes to um, exorcisms, authority uh, means something, right? Uh, I know we've talked in the past and you've mentioned that. Uh, if a person has a certain authority, such as a father over his children, uh, 
this is uh this gives him certain authority in order to do certain things that someone else can't is this yes absolutely um okay so there's there's a twofold authority structure that's given to us by the medieval theologians like saint charles borromeo saint thomas of aquinas and many of the scholastics a thousand years ago they talk about the authority structure this is the way it plays out i jess romero am the priest of my house of my progeny my wife my kids and by extension, again, uh, you'll also find grandfathers pray over their grandchildren in the scriptures. Uh, and so there's there's an authority structure that I've been given as the priest, the patriarch of my household. Same with mm -hmm. you. So that's that's patriarchy by natural law. Uh, this is this is God ordained natural law. Then you have patriarchy through spiritual law. Spiritual law would be holy orders. The spiritual fathers of the Catholic Church, the bishops and the priests that are in union with our Lord Jesus Christ and have the authority of Christ and the mandate of Christ, they have spiritual authority over the baptized. And so demons who are like lawyers from hell and they understand the natural law and the spiritual law authority structure set up by Christ, uh, they, they have to, they have to cede they have to acquiesce to the spiritual authority given to us by Christ because they are demons are strictly bound by their apostate choices, which means that they have to follow the spiritual laws that govern the universe. They have no choice. And they know that some of the spiritual laws that govern the universe is number one, Genesis 3.15. The woman... The mother of the Redeemer has power and authority to crush them. Spiritual law number one. Spiritual law number two. Even the laity in some way, shape, or form in Romans chapter 16, I think it's verse 20, it says that we will crush Satan under our feet. So there is a spiritual authority that's been given to lay people, but that the laity has to follow the structure. And how do we see it? We see it from the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see the structure and the protection of God the Father comes through patriarchy, government mm -hmm. patriarchy, spiritual patriarchy, and household patriarchy. This is the way God protects his children. It's through a patriarchal structure, Paul. And that's based on the natural law and the divine positive law, which is sacred scripture. Mm. So um, another question for you in Acts chapter 19. We hear uh, of a situation where the seven sons of a Jewish high priest uh, named Skeva, uh, they were attempting to perform exorcisms in the name of Jesus. And the demon said, you know, and Paul, the apostle, and he says, well, Jesus, I know and Paul, I know, but who are you? And then the demon overpowered them. Yep, uh, we're, we're well aware of that story as Catholics that, uh, you know, uh, read God's word every single day. That story calls the sons of Siva or the sons of Skiva. Mm -hmm. It calls them Jewish exorcists. So mm -hmm. as Catholics, we do recognize that the Jews had the ministry of exorcism well before Catholic Christians. In fact, when you look at Jewish encyclopedias and the, the rabbinic teaching, 
Jewish exorcism started around the time of King David and King Solomon. So the Jews were already driving demons out a thousand years before, uh, before the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, they, the Jews were top heavy with imprecatory prayers. That is prayers of command. They would, one of their favorite go-to prayers for Jewish exorcism was Psalm 91, which Catholic priests still use today. Uh, there are many uh, Jewish Psalms that were the go-to prayers for the Jewish exorcist. They would use incense. The Jews would use incense. They'd use bells. Uh, they would, uh, they, they had their own sacramentals as well. The, the exorcism were performed by men only, of course, of course, the, the rabbis. And so the sons of Siva, we have to understand with the coming of Christ, the Jews basically lost their authority. And now the, the authority was transferred, it was given over to the apostles, to Jesus Christ and the apostles. So the Old Testament was coming to a complete close. And so the sons of Siva, Jesus Christ spent 23% of his ministry, 23% driving demons out performing exorcisms so when christ came guess what the the ministry of jewish exorcisms was obsolete because the son of god had come to the earth and now he was, he was giving his authority to the apostles well the sons of siva saw a possessed person and they were kind of curious they were saying hey here's this guy that's possessed and we've seen this guy named paul the way he drives out demons hey let's give it a try let's drive out demons in the name of Jesus, like this guy Paul does. So notice, number one, they're not baptized. They're not part of the new covenant. They're not followers of the Messiah. They're just curious. They're superstitious. Hmm. Mm. I wonder if we can drive out demons like this guy Paul does. He calls on the name of Jesus and they're gone. And so the, the seven sons of Siva were outside of their authority. In other words, they did not possess the authority of Jesus Christ. And since they did not possess the authority of Jesus Christ, like the 12 apostles did, or they were about to receive in short time thereafter, this is why they were attacked. So the barometer of diabolic retaliation is you will be attacked. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be in your relationships. It could be in your employment. It could be in your, in your marital construct. It could be in your children, but that's the barometer. When you step outside your lane of authority, the barometer of diabolic retaliation is you will be attacked. And that's exactly what happened to the sons of Siva. Yeah. And let's, yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you shed light on that. The fact that they weren't baptized, they no longer had the authority. And so obviously the Bible records what happened. So, um, you know, just. Good stuff, Paul. Good stuff, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see a lot of lay people today still attempting to drive out demons, especially, obviously, in Protestantism, but uh, even within the Catholic Church, sometimes, uh, you know, there's almost, uh, you know, well, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit with these charismatic gifts, and uh, they feel like they don't need a priest. Yeah, and I'll tell you, we'll pick this up on Thursday again, because this is a huge topic. We want to come discussing this on Thursday but I'll tell you why this happens, Paul. Protestant Pentecostalism, in a nutshell, it, they borrowed the, the errors of the Reformation. The mm -hmm. Reformers, Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, did not understand the ministerial priesthood. 
they said that everybody's a priest. There is no distinction between the royal priesthood and the ministerial priesthood. And so Protestant Pentecostals borrowed that error, error the collapse in the ministerial priesthood. They don't understand it. They believe everybody who's baptized is a priest. Uh, and so as a result of that, that error has also creeped into the Catholic Church where because the church does say you're, you're a, 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 a priest, prophet, and king through baptism, but there's still a distinction. We're not, as lay people, even though we've been baptized, we're not ministerial priests. Mm -hmm. We're part of the royal priesthood of God. There's a distinction. I'll talk about that on Thursday. And when you misunderstand this distinction, you end up doing things that get you in trouble. And so mm. we'll, we'll talk more about that on Thursday, Paul. Yeah. Final comments, brother? Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that you uh, shed light on the fact that there's the royal pri priesthood of all believers versus the ministerial priesthood. Yes. And uh, uh, the two... Um, uh, we work together. We work together. Yeah. But there's a pecking order, Paul. There's a pecking yes. order. Yes. It, we're not yes. the same. My hands are consecrated. I can't call down the Holy Spirit and change bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ, even if yeah. I do it a thousand times. Because I'm a, I'm a priest of a different order. I'm a priest of my family. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what I've noticed, Jess, is that, you know, uh, the Protestant false idea of sola scriptura, that, you know, those errors that came in, it's almost like when they read the Bible, it's for them specifically. Uh, you know, this is my personal relationship. So all I have to do is read the instruction manuals and I can do all these things. And the reality is, is that's not that was never uh, taught in the Catholic Church. There has always been authority that has been passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And when you take yourself out from under authority, well, that's when you become subject to um, demonic. Uh, yes. Yep. Hey, Paul, that's a wrap, brother. I can see the time is up. Uh, we'll, we'll pick this up on Thursday. Hey, up next, Gary Machuda, Hands-On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for me and Paul Clay, we are 10-8. We are out. God bless you, family. We'll see you next. We'll see you on Thursday.